Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm so excited to release this podcast with Zahava List. Um, She is an amazing, amazing person. And right when I heard about her and I saw some of her videos talking about the things that she's doing, I said I had to get her on my podcast. So Zahava List started an organization called Cheskinu, and I don't usually put out podcasts on Saturday nights, but right now they are really working together to try to get funds for this amazing organization, and I wanted to make sure to put it out while the while it's still going. So if you listen to the episode, you'll see that Zahava left all the information to donate to this organization. Cheskinu is an organization um, available for women who are struggling with mental illness in the firm community. And there's so many resources that this organization provides. And I just, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. And I really want you to utilize this service. So if, if you're struggling with mental, in, mental illness, or you have a family member struggling with mental illness, and you need the support, Kheskenu is there for you. So, um, Check out the episode. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast as well as the YouTube channel. And just to make a pitch for my podcast, the more subscribers that we have, the more this podcast will move up in the rankings and more people could find this really, really important information. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, and today I have Zahava List. Hi, Zahava. Hi. How are Glad you? To be here. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, I actually heard about you like a long time ago from some of my clients and I um, I interviewed Naomi Shulman for this podcast also and she told me about you and I was like, oh, I got to get her on my podcast. So I'm so happy that you're here. Yeah. So could you just tell the listeners uh, who you are? What do you do? Where do you live? Yeah. Okay. So my name is Ahava List. I live in Baltimore. Is it right List now. or List? List, like shopping list. List, okay, good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You live in Baltimore, okay. Um, yeah, so I have uh, married with four boys. Wow. And um, yeah, so I was diagnosed with bipolar about 15 years ago, and it was really been a journey for me um, in accepting my, my illness, you know, the label of it, and really come to terms with it. And um about it's it's going to be five years now that I really felt my journey like what really helped me was connecting to people who had gone through it and and give me chizuk for it and I could 
speak to them openly and I know that they get it mm-hmm. and they understand because, you know, it's a big difference when someone says, oh, that must be so hard. And somebody says, I get it. I know it's hard. Right. Um, and so I decided to, I had been in the 12 step programs in and out. And in one of the fellowships, I actually started a phone meeting. So I knew the concept of peer support and outreach and being there for other people who are struggling with the same thing and sharing strength and hope. And I said to myself when I, well, originally I had seen like a flyer up there, um, you know, in a public area that said that there was a phone meeting for women who have infertility issues. So I said, oh, there must be also some kind of phone support meeting for people who have a mental illness, like in the Jewish community, there must be there. And I really couldn't find anything. And I decided because I have experience with phone meetings, let me see if like I could start something like that. And long story short, I ended up finding Naomi, as you said, Mm -hmm. who's my co-founder and Tamar Mishkin from Chicago. You know, Naomi's from Rochester, Tamar's from Chicago. I was living in St. Louis at the time. We're all over the place. But we really, really connected to each other in the fact that we had shared experiences and we also all had a passion of really spreading awareness, removing stigma, especially Mm self-stigma, and really getting together a support system. So in March of 2016, we launched our first phone meeting and we started off with like 12 women. And now we over, you know, between our Zoom meetings and our phone meetings, we have like close to you know, a hundred people coming on throughout wow. the week. Wow. And um, it's really grown a lot. Um, so so yeah, that's what I do. I am the founder of Hasino and Baruch Hashem. We've gone further on, you know, beyond just the phone meetings. We do all different projects and programs to really help the peer support and for people to really feel that they can be a productive member of society while going through the journey and that they're not alone. It's amazing. It's really incredible to like take something that you were struggling with and see like a void in the community and just like like going for it. Like so uh, so I want to hear I really want to speak about your organization but would you mind sharing um maybe just a little bit about how you became di- how you were diagnosed or did you like did, was there any clue when you were a child like what was that like? Right. So, you know, when I grew up, like I, I definitely had mood swings, but like all within the normal range of, you know, the only thing I, I had that had to do with, you know, I had like a mild depression in 12th grade where like, I just didn't have motivation and I was like, just feeling kind of down. And I found that I had a thyroid issue and I thought it was like, you know, let me just Mm -hmm. balance out my thyroid, take the Synthroid and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really was okay. I went to seminary. I had a great year. I came back. I taught for three years. I ended up marrying my sister-in-law, who I taught their brother, because my mother so cute. So cute. Yeah, and and it was great. Like life was perfect. Like I was doing really well. Um, I never like mental illness. I really had a stigma. You know, like mm-hmm. I really thought like those were people who were like on park benches and right. insane asylums. And right. I grew up in the eighties and nineties. Like it was just not a thing, you know, mm-hmm. to really understand what mental illness is about. I didn't know anybody well who was like living a stable, healthy lifestyle while having a mental illness. And so um, I got married and we moved to Israel. We were part of a kollel. My husband was you know, in a great yeshiva, and we had like really everything going for us. And um, Baruch Hashem, I got pregnant right away. And 10 months after we got married, 
after I had this, my first baby, I started showing signs of severe mania, psychosis, getting worse by the day. I mean, some people, it takes months until they get to such a psychotic state. But for me, it was like within days. And um, it was very, very apparent, you know, like my, it was almost like being drunk without any alcohol. You know it was apparent to you? Was it apparent to you? Or it was just apparent to you? No, others? I was really in denial. I thought everyone right. else had a problem. I don't right. have a problem. You right. know? And I was, I was busy calling people, doing, you know, saying things that I would never say in public, doing things that I never would have done and not sleeping, not eating, you know. I just had had a baby, but instead of focusing on my baby and, and adjusting to, to being a mother, instead I was calling people and trying to kind of be their therapist and talk about their problems. And mm -hmm. also at the same time, a lot of trauma came up as um, that things that I never thought was anything really like my subconscious was open and mm -hmm. everything came out. Wow. And my, my husband was there hearing all the things that I was saying and he couldn't believe that like I had all this stuff inside of me that I didn't even know about. Um, so long story short, within like 10 days after I had the baby, I had a neighbor who was like kind of a mentor to me who came into my bedroom and she's like, we got to talk. And she said, you know, I, I know and I'm hearing from your family that you really something is going on. And I really think you have a postpartum reaction. And she's going on and on. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, I know this because I myself went through this after one of my children. But I ended up going to a psychiatrist. I took medication. I went to therapy and I'm doing really like she was somebody who I wanted to be like, you know, mm -hmm. like she had everything. And she's telling me she has this. But like I just kept saying I was in so much denial and I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. OK, very nice that that happened to you, but this is not me. But she kept convincing me and she's like, do you want to take I was holding the baby while she was talking to me. And she's like, if that if your baby was had strep, you know, would you take him to the doctor? Would you, you know, give him antibiotics? So like right now your chemicals are not balanced. You need to go to a psychiatrist. Like she was really trying to talk to me into that. Thank God, like really part of my, you know, my, I was so not in reality, but part of my like twisted thinking, I, you know, I went for it. Like I, I you know, I thought I was, if this would happen, Mashiach will come and, you know, whatever. It was really ended up being a big blessing because I did get on medication right away. And I, found a therapist. There's an amazing organization called Nitsa in Israel that helps specifically with postpartum. They give you a mentor. They find you a th therapist, a psychiatrist. They're just there. And it's amazing. They do it all volunteer. Um, and they really connected me. And within, you know, six, you know, like a couple months, I started really getting back to myself. I ended up having like seven episodes in 10 years. And then mm -hmm. after that, and you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs and medication changes and hospitalizations. And I, I did ECT, which is electric convulsion therapy to really help balance my hormones. You know, so it, it was, it's a pretty extreme case that I have, mm -hmm. but thank God, like bringing meaning to my pain and finding the right people and getting out of myself and finding people who I can help and be there for. Um, yeah. It's amazing. It's really been amazing. It's amazing. So you, but you, specifically said that you had like self self stigma right so yeah. when you like you're telling this over like this story in a few minutes but it's over the course of a bunch of years when yeah. when it first like when you first like got diagnosed was it were you like no that can't be or how did you feel about that yeah like I I did not want to be associated with you know any kind of label or any kind of name like that I had a lot of shame you know after the highs it always goes 
below comes right after that. And I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I had a lot of shame from what I did when I was manic. Mm -hmm. And I just had gained a lot of weight and I was self-conscious about how I look. I just never wanted to go out. I didn't care about getting dressed and getting up. And I had been doing like a, a program, like to get a degree and going out every day and doing all these things while I was pregnant. And then after and working and I had a great job and everything. And afterwards I was like, I stopped everything. I was like, I can't, like I put my whole life on hold and I just couldn't face the world. Um, and then, you know, slowly but surely, like I couldn't even like be there for my baby. I was so focused inward and focused on the fact that I just didn't like, you know, I wanted to kind of trade in my life. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't want this. Like, this is not the way my script was supposed to be, you right. know? And I, I went through for a very long time, like, who am I? Like, am I Zahava? Am I bipolar? Am I like, who am I? And what I've come to realize over the years is that I'm Zahava and I have all the strengths and weaknesses that Hashem gave me. And I happen to have an illness called bipolar, you know, mm -hmm. and it, that mm -hmm. came with time. It's not something that comes right away. And I think it's healthy to slowly come to terms with that, you know, not be in denial that, oh, this is fine and this is okay. But obviously also try not to be stuck with it. And that's where, you know, I did, a, I did five years of inner child therapy wow. um, and I've done all different types of therapies and all different types of modalities to help me come to terms with myself come to terms with my past and it's it's been it's a journey you know yeah so just for listeners so so we could do like a little bit of education um in case somebody's like struggling or ha had something similar it's usually triggered by like a life-changing event like you said like you had a baby is that is that what usually happens a lot of times it is trauma-induced which in my case it was um mm -hmm. and also the hormones after having a baby and you know everything is like the levels, the hormone levels that go on from, you know, before pregnancy to pregnancy to after pregnancy, it's like a miracle when everything, mm -hmm. I always say like to be a bounce back mommy, like mm -hmm. to everything. To no such thing. Where it was, yeah, no know? such thing. Yeah. No such thing. Everybody, it is an adjustment for everyone, but like yeah. in general to not be completely dysregulated like I was, right. Right. is really a miracle. Right. Um, and I feel like for me, it's, it was like, you know, it was just a matter of like, having this big, huge adjustment of life experience definitely brought it. But there are people who it could be like their life is really, you know, nothing really happened, nothing changed drastically, but yet they develop it. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and everyone's different in that way. But I think usually it happens during a change of life experience. A lot of times people who go to seminary mm -hmm. or, you know, like there's a divorce in the family or things like that, where, you know, when, when I had the baby and I was, it's the most vulnerable, you know, situation to be in. You're like completely opened up, you know, mm -hmm. with the baby coming out of you. That's that true. really, like even during the pregnancy, even during the labor, you know, there were things that I was showing signs that my labor coach was concerned. Like, you right. know, what happened to you? You know, like, you know, there was things from the very start that really showed signs of, you know, something was off and something needed help. You know, I needed, I needed that help. So, um, but yeah, like it really is mental illness is, you know, there's different types of things that, you know, person can go through, you know, there's, there's some illnesses that are completely chemical based and it's like, it's like anything like, you know, diabetes where the sugar levels are not okay. And, and medication really can help that. 
but yet there's some people who because it's you know they went through a trauma and you know they can develop tendencies like let's say borderline personality disorder where certain things that they're you know they have a fear of abandonment mm -hmm. and that comes from what there's you know their you know nurturing environment or, or lack of that mm -hmm. they grew up in right so after you had the baby and it, you said it was like 10 days after you had the baby you, you yeah. decided that you were going to go for help yeah you got help so you yeah. you went to a psychiatrist you are put on medication you started yeah. seeing a therapist and then um, you said, but you said it was like about six months before you were back to yourself. Yeah. And then after that, I, I ended up having a relapse shortly after. So yeah, it was, it was a long process until I felt like I was really back to who I was and it was a lot of up and down, you know, like I'm not saying I was completely out of commission for six months, right? but the back and forth was less, you know, the, the back and forth, when I say back and forth, I mean, the times where I would feel a little bit higher, the times I would feel lower, mm -hmm. you know, that would be hard. And then the medication changes because right, sometimes right. medication could cause side effects. Right. Sometimes medication could work for a little bit, but then not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can make it worse than it was before. So like, that's all part of it. And the truth is, as much as it's like psychiatry can do wonders, you know, the medications can help change so much, but yet it is, you know, trial and error. Mm -hmm. And there's no guarantee that one medication that's helping someone, saving someone's life is going to be helpful for another person. And, you know, I never have been off of medication, but yet I've had so many different episodes and instability that, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So, so then you said you, you, re you relapsed and then um, what was it like for you being like in Israel? Did you feel like you had to go back to America or you were able to uh, figure out your plan of care in Israel? So we actually stayed there for six years. So mm -hmm. I did have a good support system as far as like my met, like medically wise and with therapy, like I had a great therapist and a great psychiatrist. I was with them for the whole, you know, five years or so that I was, you know, from when I was sick and I was happy with them. It was hard though, because I did get, you know, my family did come in um, and help me at certain times where I was really not doing well. Um, but, you know, it was, it was kind of, hard and, and helpful at the same time to be kind of out of my, especially working with childhood memories and childhood experience. It was helpful to come away from my hometown and be like thousands of miles away because then I was able to look at things in so much more of a broader perspective and an objective way, which I think is very helpful than yeah. to have to be constantly re-triggered. Right, you know? totally. So, but you, you said before that, um, you realized that there was like a lot of childhood trauma that you did you actually forget about it because I know that that does happen yeah know? I mean what it really what it really was about is that when we're kids and when we're growing up certain things we think are completely normal right that are really not right they're really not okay and my therapist would say when I would tell her things she'd be like you know that that's not okay you right know that this is not appropriate so a lot of things I had to come to realize um, that were really not okay. And they were affecting me till that time, you know, till that day, <clears throat> affecting my marriage, affecting my ability, my, you know, my cognitive abilities, everything like was, was affected by it. Some people it's obvious, like the things that people go through, there's no question that this is something like catastrophic for, mm -hmm. for the child. But sometimes people grow up where this, they just think this is what, what life's about. But right. for me, it was always put into my subconscious. 
you know, when somebody, when somebody's going through something where like, they're kind of in this like conflict where like, is this okay? Is this not? But it's too hard to deal with. And, and so much dissociation is involved that it was only when my subconscious came out with the mania that mm-hmm. I, all of a sudden things, things came to the surface, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. It's so interesting. I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that for people to hear this because, yeah. um, I could really, I could relate to what you're saying a lot about like, as children, we don't know what's normal or not. We just sort of absorb the environment and accept that that's uh, normal until right. we're old enough and mature enough to really assess if it is or not. And yeah, I've also had that in therapy where she, she'll say like that, you know, that's not normal. I'm like, no, I didn't know that, you know? And it's right. like, she has to say it over and over and over again because the the childhood okay um, this is not therapy or anything just from what I understand it's like the childhood the child brain cannot say that what that person did is wrong they can't yeah yeah exactly so so my so my next question which is like the million dollar question is how did you decide to be open about your your story so I had a different case the fact that I was never really able to completely hide it Mm-hmm. You know, when I became manic, a lot of people realized something was off and something mm-hmm. was going on. Mm-hmm. And when I was manic, I actually would tell people, oh, mm-hmm. I have bipolar and I have this and I have that. Mm-hmm. And that. Like, so, mm-hmm. so there was never a time where somebody completely, you know, there's plenty of people who are going through this and like, even their close friends don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Like they're really able to hide it. Yeah. So I was never able to completely hide it, which was hard and, and easier for me at the same time. It was hard mm-hmm. because like, it wasn't, I felt like it wasn't fair that that's how they're finding out. Like yeah. when I'm not even consciously deciding yeah. who should know and who should know. But at the same time, it made it much easier because it's like once, you know, once it's out in the open, like it's such a difference. And and I, when I transitioned to talking about it openly, it was, it was a process. But when I look back at it, I feel like it's like a double test. Like not only you're going through it, but you're also trying to hide it. Yeah. And that's so, so hard because you're not getting any kind of support in a way that people could really like understand. Like the reason why you're not, you know, doing A, B and C is because getting out of bed is impossible for you, you know. And even though no one could really fully understand unless they're going through it themselves, like there, yeah. there is something very freeing about someone else, you know, understanding where you're coming from. And not like really trying to, it, it's such a big part of your life, like mental illness. I mean, some people like it's mild or whatever, but like for some people like me, like it took over so much of my life that I can't imagine if I was trying so hard to hide it, how it would be. And I compare it to like coming into a room and you have a stain in your shirt. So like you could spend the whole time like trying to cover it up. Right. Right. You could just be like, oh gosh, I have this stain. It's yeah. So annoying. And, yeah. And it's open. It's, it's there. It's out. Yeah. But um, but it took time. It took time for me to, you know, there were definitely people who if they didn't know anything, you know, I didn't want them to know. But but the more I became accepting of my own challenge, this is just like any other challenge. And knowing that a men- mental illness is not any different than a physical illness, that it just was so freeing to me to be able to talk about it. And, you know, and now I talk about it as if anything, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm happy that my kids also can talk about it, you know as if it's nothing like when I was in the hospital, you know, when you're in the hospital, mommy, this is this, and oh, mm-hmm. you're taking your medicine. And that, like, it's just like, a, it's part of our lives. Like Hashem mm-hmm. chose me to have this test, but it doesn't mean that I have to give in to all the, the insecurities that go along with it. Doesn't mean I'm not, I don't have insecurities. And doesn't mm-hmm. mean I'm like the most confident person, but coming to terms with it and, and taking away that stigma 
And they, you know, my our rabbinical advisor, who's my rav, Rabbi Shel Grossberg, has been incredible. And since we started Cheskenu, is when I when I started connecting with him. And one of the things he says, and I've really made this like my mission, is um, that the stigma, the, sorry, the pain of a mental illness is unavoidable, but the stigma of a mental illness is avoidable. Wow. Wow. And I think that's so powerful because yeah. we don't have to give into the stigma. Right. You know, we can't control the pain of it. We can't control the challenge that comes with it, but we can control the shame and the isolation that comes along with it. Yeah. So like you said before, like before you were struggling with mental illness, you thought of, you know, people who like only people who are like on park benches and you definitely had your own stigma about mental illness. And then when you went through it, still some self stigma and now yeah it's a work in progress but working on the acceptance and just like it's just like there would be a physical illness there's a mental illness but let's yeah. say somebody is listening to this and they're feeling like this stigma is real like how how would you advise them to educate themselves or to you know start the journey of really decreasing their own stigma yeah so it, so it's hard i mean i think a big part of the reason why it was hard for me to like understand mental illness in a way that it's not like okay something is really wrong with mm -hmm. these people they're not normal because mm -hmm. when i grew up i remember i was like i don't know maybe 10 11 years old and i had a friend whose mother was like it was so obvious how unstable she was and she did a lot of different things that were just really socially off and i remember hearing somebody say yes yeah, she has manic depressive and like i didn't really understand i was a kid but like that was my first experience of hearing a label on a mental illness and seeing someone who was completely not functional. Mm -hmm. um, and over time, like between me going through this and between meeting the most amazing people in the world who are going through this, like it made me realize like this, people can be so like have it all together and seemingly like just so there and with it and everything, but also be going through this. And I think when people realize that this is, you know, even to like educate yourself of what, what's going on in the brain, mm -hmm. you know, with someone yeah. who has mental illness, like realizing it's just like any other illness. I mean, there are people who have stigmas against physical illness, you know, right. like, so, I mean, people who are going to allow themselves to, you know, to fall into the path of, you know, that if I am not completely together, then something, you know, I'm, I'm not normal, you know, and like, what is normal? Right. And right. I always say, like every Hashem created every single person. We're original. We're not we're not supposed to be normal. Like what it you know, so so if people define themselves by their challenges, yeah, they're they're not gonna be considered, you know, like the run of the mill. But if somebody realizes that, you know, there's so much more to each person and everybody has so much greatness to them. And a person should feel to themselves, like really be in touch with what is what are my strengths? What are, what am I able to do? What can I accomplish in this world, even with the illness that I go through? And and the people who really matter are not going to care. They're not going right. to you know hold you you know make it against you because of your illness. Like right. and the people who don't you know who are not going to understand and who are going to carry this or you know people have lost. I mean I lost job opportunities. I've lost friendships because of my mental illness. Um, but those, you know, those experiences really just showed me that I need to focus on the people who really understand me and care. And even if it's just about opening up to the people who 
have it as well. And that's what, you know, Cheskin is about. Like in one of our first meetings, I had someone come on and say, like, I've never said this out loud. And she said, I have depression and anxiety. Like she never had the opportunity to actually even say it out loud. And here she was comfortable to be able to say that. Wow. So it's not that a person has to aspire to be like me where I tell everybody mm-hmm. every, you know, everything mm-hmm. about me because that's my coping mechanism. Right, right. But even to find, you know, just even if it's one person, two people who you can really talk to about it and, and say it without any shame there, it's, it's really, really freeing. It really is. And, and some people helped them to write it on social media where they're writing. They don't have to see people's reactions. They're just, yes. Everybody's different in that way and their adjustment to it. Yeah. yeah, that that really that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm I'm happy that people are going to hear this, and um, that it also makes sense that you said like not everyone has to share like like you're sharing. I know like for me like when I I remember like you, you know a little bit about my story, but like my mother passed away very suddenly like two and a half years ago, and it was just like crazy. The whole story was crazy, but I remember it. Should I post about it? Should I not post about it? How much do I want to share? And I remember like when I just wrote a blog about it, like maybe a year after she died, like it was so therapeutic for me. It wasn't like, you know, there was a different, like you don't want to, I wasn't oversharing. Like I shared the part that I felt that I wanted to share. And it was, it was powerful to hear, you know, how it impacted other people and how it helped other people and mm-hmm. how it helped other people share. So I do, I appreciate, like, I don't think everyone has to share That's That doesn't work for everyone, but I appreciate um, your story. I appreciate hearing your story. I appreciate your openness. And I know, I know from people in my circle, how helpful it's been to be able to refer to, to you and to your story. Mm-hmm. So what was the feedback like for you when you did, did start sharing? So, you know, when I, when I would share with the people who really just didn't understand, like, let's say there was a time where, um, but that when I was talking about that, I lost a job opportunity. I had I had been offered a job as a teacher and the school found out that I had been in the hospital and they said, I'm sorry, I don't think it's going to be the best thing for you to teach, mm-hmm. which ended up being great because I, right. I might have still been teaching and right. it never would have been happening. But um, I remember one of the parents like had found out that I was offered a job and and she was like, oh, I'm so excited that I'm, you're going to teach my daughter. And I was like, actually, no, I was oh. in the hospital and I have this and I have that. Wow. And I could see she was like, whoa, I was mm. not expecting that reply, you know. But the people who I found really like was therapeutic to talk to were the people who really were empathetic. And and that could even be people who don't have it. It doesn't have to only be people who, right. but somebody who knows me enough where they know that they're, I'm so much more than my illness. And yeah. a lot of people really really did, you know, try to understand me, try to be there for me. And actually I was at a wedding. Um, and I, I think it also has to do with the fact that when I talk about my mental illness, I'm like confident. I'm like, right. actually have something, right. Right. you know, so that makes people comfortable, but I was actually right. at a wedding and I spoke to somebody, I had just moved to Baltimore. We only moved about three and a half years ago here. And she was like, hi, what do you do? You know, the, the usual question. So yeah. I, you know, tell people every time people ask me what to do, I actually start an organization for peer, you know, So, so this is this is your full-time job, by the way? Yeah, I mean, I did tutor and teach over the right. years, but this is my, you know, wow. this is my real Amazing. thing. Amazing, I'm home with my, with my kids also, oh, nice. um, you know, a lot of the time. But um, so I told her that I do this. And she's like, you know, it's so important for people to, 
have that support and not, you know, be ashamed to share and mental illness is just like any other thing. And I couldn't believe it. Like this wasn't someone who also had it. There are a lot of people who like random people who I tell and they're like, actually, I had a postpartum response. Actually, I had anxiety. You know, it's so it's so common now. Like, what is it? One in every five people. And also, I feel like because of COVID and everything that's been going on, where people have been so isolated, so much unknown and anxiety have been put into our lives that yes. I think at this point, everybody can understand what it's like to not be emotionally completely stable, you know? Yes, and and totally. so I would think that that would make people even less judgmental, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it happened to be that when I applied to for a teaching job here, I purposely put it onto my resume that I do as Kano and this is what I have. Um, and I, they asked me about it on the interview and I, and they saw that, like I was talking about it and I said, because I can understand what it's like to go through challenge and making meaning from challenge and rising above challenge, I really feel like the next generation needs this, you know, yeah. and I feel like that my experience in life and my illness can really contribute to, for the girls. And not only did they like hire well, me on the spot, well, but they said, yes, like, that's true. We want amazing. that for our, for our students. That's amazing. So I think the slowly, slowly it is changing. I mean, it's, it's a shift, especially for yeah. people who grew up in, in a different generation than us, including myself. Um, but, but I do feel like, you know, it's, it's, there, there are, they are going to change, you know, the world is going to change and the world is changing already. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, definitely. The responses have been very different over the years than it has. Right. Now it's, I think now it is, um, I don't know if it's more common, but it's definitely more spoken about. And um, I'll make a plug for Project Proactive here, which is a, which is a website that is, is working on breaking the stigma in the from community uh, on mental health. And I've done, I've I've written for them. There's lots of blogs. There are lots of resources. Um, And I just think that that's just like kind of really helping to normalize it. Um, I also want to say that um, it's just like I, I'm, I'm like emotional because I remember like I, I probably said this on my podcast before, but I remember like a few years ago when like somebody would talk about like you know some something going on in their life, like let's say like a loss of someone, and like you become so uncomfortable, like you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do, right? Because you don't really know what what to do and I remember thinking like oh this is super awkward awkward I have to like run away you know and then like with my own with my own really 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 horrible challenge and like I remember like in the beginning like bringing it you know talking about it because like this is my life like I have to be able to talk about this and just seeing people's discomfort and being like um okay I guess I shouldn't talk about that because it makes people so uncomfortable and then like through my own journey and work and speaking to other people I say this all the time like my hurt is so much greater than your discomfort you know yeah. like not that we could compare people's pain but like at least at least that's, that's how I feel like I just recently went to pay a shiva call to a friend who lost a fa- father and it was so sad and um and I remember thinking wow like a few years ago like I, I would I would really struggle to go and now I'm just like everyone's sitting there nobody's talking it's uncomfortable awkward whatever but it's like my my discomfort is nothing compared to her pain you know and it's like when you say like there are there are certain people that are very open about their mental mental illness and um you could tell how people get 
like kind of like clench up and are like, oh, you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't talk about that or whatever. And then yeah. it's so not true. It's so not true. It's so much like, like, I guess there's like that, that level of working on the discomfort because like yeah. it's there for, it's there for a reason, but like Absolutely. we could get, we could, like I said before, like not to compare the pain, but like your discomfort isn't like anywhere near their pain. You know what I mean? And like people should be allowed to share their story and share, you know, and and it's true though, there are people that get it and there are people that don't get it. And it's so powerful to have someone who gets it. And it's also so painful when someone doesn't get it, but like the more you surround yourself with people who do get it, it's like, you really feel like this is like doable, you know, like even, even being able to make meaning out of it. I feel like that's, I feel like that's where the opening comes from, like to make meaning. Cause it's like, it's so connecting to, to connect with people through our struggles. Absolutely. And I, I think that you, that point is so important because it's on both sides of the coin, the person who's sharing and the person who's hearing. Right. And I would say, you know, there's different things to focus on when you are hearing someone share something like that to remember that they're really being vulnerable and it's really, right. really hard to open up. And, and let's say you don't know what to say. Like there are times where people talk to me and I, I really don't know how to help them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do, but listen. And they say, thank you so much. You helped me so much. Yeah. And I'm like, what did yeah. I do? Right. And so even just, if you don't know what to say and you don't know how to react, like even to say like, wow, that must be so hard. I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. Yeah. Like if there's anything I can do, please help. Please let me know. Like yeah. you're not saying, obviously you can't say, I get it. I've been there. I, I've done right. it. Right. Like, really, to just be empathetic. Like I'm with you. I, mm-hmm. I'm not just like, oh, you know, I hear you. Like yeah. I'm with you in your pain, and I want to be there for you. And yeah. also showing that, like, after they reveal this, like you still feel the same way about them. It didn't change the way you feel. Right. And I also think that when somebody shares, it's really important to kind of feel out the person and say, like, you know, are you okay with me sharing this? Like, yeah. are you, you know, do you feel comfortable with that? Because you don't want to open yourself up to someone who's just not ready to hear it. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely um, two sides to that story. Like, and I, I would, I would even say like in my own practice, like um, people, you know, share really, really vulnerable personal things because when you talk about your relationship to food and your relationship to, to your body, it's, it's really, it's hard. And um, I had a supervisor tell me once, like, even if you, even if in that session, like you didn't use any tools or you any tools or whatever, but you just like listen and, and carry their pain. It's so therapeutic. And I, I didn't really understand it until now. And I, and I don't just mean in my, in my private practice, because I, I, like people say, like, once you go through a struggle, you really develop empathy, but like those words don't do the experience justice. Cause it's so true when you hear somebody, whether or not they went through the same struggle you just really learn to sit there and even though you kind of have a little knot in your stomach and you're like wow I have nothing to say you develop this ability to be like I'm just it hurts like it really does like I'm I'm feeling your pain right now and it's like yeah it's 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 very powerful yeah I, I think also what I had to come to to realize is that my pain is real and I can validate myself like right just because the people around me don't understand doesn't mean that what I'm going through is not valid and it's right. not, you know, real. And it's not like, it's okay. It's okay to be, it's okay to not be okay. You right. Know? right. Like you don't have to be strong for everyone else. It's not right. about that. 
it's right. a challenge. It's something like daily challenge to not, you know, they say like what other people think of me is none of my business. You know, right. like it's, right. it's hard. We live yeah. in a life where we're looking over our shoulder. We're making right. sure people are okay with us. Right. And we want to get that validation from everyone, but we're not always going to get that. Right. You know, it's funny. Cause, um, I just thought I just thought of this like somebody I know in in my life I won't say who just in case they're embarrassed but like they what they when they were dating they went on a date with someone uh, with a guy and he forgot his wallet <laughs> and I was like asking her like oh my gosh do you think he was like a major scatterbrain like were you like what were you thinking she's like I was so happy that he messed up because <laughs> then I didn't feel like pressure and I was like that's such an interesting perspective but I do feel like um, like I also share a lot about my own my own struggles, you know, and I feel like people feel comfortable to share with me and probably with you because like we I got it. Like I get it. We're all struggling. And it's really like it's really so true. Like when when also when I first started my practice, I heard a lot of like therapists or dietitians or whatever say, like, you would never think, you never know. But like we all struggle. Like maybe we we don't all struggle with bipolar or depression and anxiety or whatever, but like some people hide it. Some people don't want to talk about it and that's fine. But like, we really all have a shared human experience of going through really hard things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and life, a big thing that in Haskinu is about getting out of ourselves, not being so focused inward, because if I'm living a life where it's just about me and my pain and what I'm going through, like it's just going to bring me down. And and so much about Hasina, we, we say our mantra is we strengthen ourselves by strengthening each other and really getting, picking up the phone. And I learned this really from OA, you know, mm-hmm. like the outreach calls that people make, like we do that also. Like if I'm having a hard time, I'm not going around and seeing what people can do for me. I'm right. going around to see what can I do for others? Like, how can I be helpful? And that is such an amazing feeling to know that like I can, be there for someone else and then I automatically feel better I'm not saying like that there's not times where I'm like I cannot be the one to give right now I need right. to find someone who I, who can I can take from right. but in general like having that attitude where it's, my life is about giving you know like it's it's a big thing and, and and it's so important to teach our children that also that living is about I actually wrote a song with my 10 year old called living is giving because mm. I think it's so important for people like as children it's, it's about me 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 and you know right. the generation they say like the iPhone I yeah. I I generation right. it's a really important lesson to really be able to get out of ourselves and be there for other people no matter mm. what's going on with us right and that's I interviewed somebody else for the podcast who struggles with personality I mean borderline personality disorder and she was talking about dbt uh-huh. and that's like a that's one of the dbt dbt skills right like um yeah helping others which is like for some people really therapeutic I have that happens to not be something that like helps me so much interestingly um probably for, for a bunch of reasons but like it's I, I'm just saying that because um I find that there's like some you know we have we, we like to compare ourselves to others and think like well that person does that but like I have tons of other coping strategies that work for me Right. That doesn't mean I don't like to give. It just happens to be like, that doesn't speak to me as much. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody's different in that way. Right. But but encouraging people to not focus so much inward also really, really helps. I mean, it's, it doesn't mean you're distracting yourself from your own pain. Right. Feeling your feelings is incredibly important. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, just not letting yourself run away with that. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I would even say um, more than that, like feeling your feelings is sometimes really important and distracting yourself sometimes is really important because you can't, yeah. can't do, you know, both of those things always like you have to figure out what works for you. Exactly. Um, do we still have a few minutes? Cause I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I want to, if you, if you don't mind for the listeners, could you talk a little bit about, you said for five years you did, um, inner child work. Could you just yeah. speak to that modality of therapy specifically when it comes to bipolar? Maybe that would be helpful for someone. Sure. So inner child therapy is really going through, you know, it's, it's becoming the adult self of yours being there for your child for for the child within you and for me I had to go through you know really what was going on for me growing up what happened what you know really like listening as if I'm listening to a story from a child but it's Mm -hmm. me you know Mm -hmm. and um, it was a lot about nurturing that self about mourning the things that I'm never going to be able to have and it's still a process like Mm -hmm. even though you know, I had gone through it for so many years and went into other modalities. Like it's something that I have to carry with me all the time. It's something that empowers people, you know, when, when I'm feeling unstable and when, when I'm feeling, you know, when I get high, you know, it's not just because of, of, of chemicals only. It's also because when life is so hard, I always say it's like a form of depression, but instead of being so in it, you're like running away from it. Yeah. And, you know, I talk a lot about when I'm high, I talk a lot about Mashiach and a mm-hmm. lot about, because I don't want to be in pain anymore. Right. And that's what they right. say is going to happen when Mashiach comes, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. So what happens in inner child therapy that relates to the bipolar is that you sit with it, you but you, but at the same time, you're nurturing it and you're, you're giving it a place where, you know, you could open up and you could feel, but yet you could still be in this world and you could still function and you know, you are stronger than you you think, you know, because I felt like my world just like completely crashed down on me. You know, everything where I thought was going for me was not going for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I imagined my, my, you know, my marriage would be a certain way and it wasn't the the way that I imagined, you know, And, and the challenges that came along with the marriage, you know, because of what I had gone through. I mean, thank God I have a very supportive husband Uh, But at the same time, the challenges that we went through and so much from my childhood, you know, where I really reverted back to a child and, you know, being married to an eight-year-old, you know, is not easy, you know, and and being married as, you know, feeling like an eight-year-old is also not not good. And, you know, like developing the relationship, developing myself as an adult um, really really help everything because you know I, I here I am being married with a child like I can't be walking around as a child but having a place in therapy where that child had a voice and that child um, was being nurtured but but from me really empowered me it really turned me into even though I have you know so many days where I'm like I just want to be taken care of I just want to be pampered I just want to be that child um, I want that attention you know I still like learning how to believe in myself and believe in that I have the ability as an adult to nurture my, my child. It's, it's very, it's, it's living a whole new life, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the first person who taught me about inner child work, her name is Parallel Bramowitz. Have you heard of her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thought, sure. Yeah. So she, I, I remember her telling me this once she's like, whenever I'm in a session 
and somebody says something like a client says something that like triggers her she goes that that's when I imagine little peril sitting on my lap you know and she and she says like whenever she trains people to work with adults she first has to train them to work with children because every single person is has an inner child in them and I, I just found those words to be really powerful and helpful for me when I'm thinking about my, my own you know healing and other people's healing it's really true absolutely and you know one of the modalities that also did a lot of is IFS which is internal family systems and it's very much about focusing on the parts of you that often you could be like you know feeling very resentful and then you're like what's wrong with me why am I feeling resentful just stop feeling resentment right what's wrong with you you know what's wrong with me um, but instead, looking at it as there's a part of me that's resentful. And a lot of times that's coming from a child insecure part. Right. And then I have parts of me that are fighting that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and learning how to be myself, learning what myself is and not blending with those parts, but instead empowering those parts and giving them a voice is is so self-regulating. I mean, it, it really is ultimately, even though I did it in therapy a lot and in a lot of different ways with psychodrama and with Santray, all these different things, it was all about really learning how to do it for myself, mm -hmm. you know? So there's a lot of different ways that a person can really be there for themselves and not rely, you know, on other people. It's, it's, it's definitely difficult and it's not yeah. easy. It's a lot easier to try to find people. Yeah. But sometimes it's just like, it's looking for something that's never going to be there. Yes, a hundred percent. That that's also been very healing for me, and what I teach people about, like about the concept of self care, is not like just getting a manicure. It's like, yeah. what what are my needs? What's missing? And how could I fill that myself? Um, okay, so I know we're on a time limit. So I want you to just talk about your organization, Chaskino, in case anyone's listening and could use the support. Where could they? How could they sign up? How could they find you? All that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for. Asking that. So Cheskinu, um, first of all, the, the contact information to get to Cheskinu, you could first check out our website. It's www.cheskinu, which is spelled C-H-A-Z-K-E-I-N-U.org. Cheskinu.org. And you could see the projects and programs we have. We have phone meetings. We have Zoom meetings. We have an online forum. We have peer-to-peer um, -peer, um, partner program. We have outreach joining outreach lists. We have a davening group. We have a hotline um, support hotline for non-emergency questions. You know, we, we give out newsletter and chizik emails throughout the week. So we do a lot of different things. Um, and you could choose, I always say like, you know, when you're starting off, start with one thing. A lot of times people start with the, listening to the phone meeting because nobody sees you, nobody, you don't have to, you could be remain completely anonymous. Um, and then slowly, but surely, you know, I had people who like, nobody wanted to know like she didn't want anyone to know anything about her and now she's like one of the volunteers out there you know everything mm -hmm. so it's a process but um so joining we ask that you either call or email so the email is info at org, or you can fill out the contact form on the website um and also you can call and i'll give the number it's 314-346-7414 we have very minimal um, intake. We really just make sure that everybody is a Jewish woman who's either struggling themselves or with a loved one. So we do have mothers and daughters and sisters and spouses and everything. Um, but then we um, also ask and make sure that everyone's in treatment and, um, you know, and, and, and they know that this is, you know, it's also for 18 and up. So um, once we know that, you know, people don't even always use their real name. We want confidentiality is like such an important role for us because we know 
but not everybody wants to, you know, people to know about them. We want people to feel safe to open up. And so it's a total non-judgmental, loving, warm, you know, the way we call, I don't call people members. I call people Cheskinu sisters. It's Cheskinu family. We're very much into connecting in that way and really building each other up in that way. And um, if you don't mind me putting in a plug, we, we actually are having a fundraiser now. And um, it's a raffle sweepstakes through the Chafetz Chaim Heritage Foundation. Um, we're trying to make 50000 We're about halfway. Wow. And the deadline is next week. Mm-hmm. So um, to get on, first of all, you could look at our, on the website, you can look at our promo videos and see and hear from members and what we're doing um, and Rabbanim and, and therapists. Um, but the, the, if anybody does want to give or know somebody who can give, that website is 100ksweepstakes.com slash um, and we appreciate, you know, any kind of support. There's so many more, there's so many more things we want to do that we, we offer everything for free. You know, everything's mm-hmm. free. You know, we really need the community support to be able to, you know, we had to stop some things that cost money for us that we, do, we didn't have the resources for. So we want to restart some different programs that we've had. And we also want to continue doing more and more, you know, reach thousands of people. We're international. We, we do have hundreds of people at this point. From around the world and um you know there's just so much more to do wow it's amazing yeah. i'll definitely put all that in the show notes for this podcast and i'll Appreciate put it on my instagram and i'll do Thank my you. best to share and i hope that people yeah. will donate support and join if this is what they need yeah. 100%. yeah i definitely like that's ultimately it's about you know being there for people who really need it and want it and um and the family members, I find, is also like kind of a win-win because they're learning. They, first of all, can, can connect to each other. You know, a mother could talk to another mother, and that's really powerful. But more than that, they're, learn, they're speak, hearing from people who are going through it, and they're like, wow, I can understand my husband better. I can understand mm-hmm. my daughter better. And um, it's, it's really empowering for people to get awareness, get, you know, exposure, and to get the support, you know? Amazing. So, Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. I'm blown away. No, it's it's like my life has completely changed, you know, and and I'm very lucky that I've had so many people guiding me and supporting me throughout the whole thing. You know, we have a clinical advisor, rabbinical advisor. We, you know, we've had different people who I've been able to connect with. There's a great, just the mental health community, Jewish community has grown so much that, um, you know, there's people out there who really want to make this happen. Like you said, Project Proactive and Refuhanafesh.com and all these different places have really changed the way that people could now understand more about mental illness. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, it was amazing. You have had slacha with all your amazing work that you do. I mean, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, Please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.